What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin, the auto editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. Duh. And I'm Ben Bullen. I, uh, <laughs> I hang out with uh, everybody's favorite auto editor. It's already started. It's already started. It's already started. Moose and squirrel. The moose and the squirrel. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, so uh, go ahead and hit us with this topic because uh, this is something that you were all jazzed up about. And when I saw it, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it does. I, I, I can't believe it. It looks like it's fake or it looks like it's Photoshop. It does. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look real to me. This This whole thing doesn't look real to me. What we are talking about today are uh, things that the Russians describe as ekranoplan, or <laughs> ekranoplan, we would say, I guess. And uh, Russians probably don't have that terrible accent. I, I would hope not. <laughs> my, Russian, my Russian friends are, are going to write in ben on that Ben told one. me to be ready for this one. So yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. So these are... And these are very curious vehicles. Um, the Russian word for it, uh, ekran means screen and plan means plane. So it's like screen plane, but think of it more like ground plane, I guess. Sort ground of, plane. Okay. Would be an easier way, which seems a bit contradictory. A ground plane, a plane that flies mm-hmm. in the ground. Yes. Now, you know, you know, Scott, you and I had, uh, Things got a little bit heated between us. There was some tension when we talked about flying cars, which I'm not bringing up. Sure. So I thought about, hey, what what about flying boats? Let's see how our resident auto expert <laughs> feels about that. Flying the, boats. Uh huh. These things, they look like planes. They look like planes with um, no landing gear and propellers in the wrong places. This is this is really bizarre. Mm-hmm. And you know what? To me. When I saw an Acrano plane for the first time, when you when you mentioned these, mm. and if I mispronounce this throughout here, I think I, <laughs> I say it three or four different ways. But yeah. when I saw one of these, you know what I initially thought of? What's that? The spruce goose. Oh yes, I, yes. I thought of the spruce goose because that's the proportion mm-hmm. that you think of when you when you see these things. These are enormous planes. The, well, really, it's a flying boat. Yeah, is what it is. Yeah, and that's kind of that's what the spruce goose really ended up being. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was supposed mm-hmm. to be military transport, but uh, one flight, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, the spruce goose, the the uh, the Hercules, that was huge. I mean, it was uh, uh, how big was that? That was two hundred eighteen feet long. I mm-hmm. think it had a three hundred twenty foot wingspan. 
It was yeah. like 80 feet, 80 feet tall. Ugh. It was a spruce goose. It was a monster. It was big, and it's in a museum somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. These acrinoplans, they're bigger than that. Yes. And, uh, Scott, I'm going to do, do us both a favor, um, cause I can't keep up my fake offensive Russian accent. Mm-hmm. Um, let's call them ground effect vehicles. Okay. You want to do that? Yeah. A little bit easier. Yeah. And, um, easier for me at least. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, it'll get rid of all these bad Russian jokes. Okay. You're great. Okay. So, uh, yes, the scale of these things, um, is huge and it's, you could kind of attribute it to two reasons. First, um, for the, the way the gra- the way that ground effect works enables engineers to make, uh, things that are basically similar to planes, uh, without some of the same engineering concerns that would restrict the size of a plane normally. Okay. Um, so that, how does ground effect work then? Excellent question. I'm so glad you asked. Um, okay. So a ground effect vehicle, uh, works off of something that's incredibly strange that I did not know about until we started researching this podcast. Uh, if you're flying just a regular aircraft, mm-hmm. regular winged aircraft, there's something weird that happens when you get very close to the ground. The lift increases into an extraordinary level. Um, because when the aircraft is flying low, the body of the aircraft and the wings, uh, trap air between the wings and the ground. And so it builds, if it has a large enough surface area, it has almost this cushion of air similar to mm. a hovercraft. Interesting. Not quite a hovercraft, but similar to, you know what I mean? So there's lift on a, pl- just as you're setting a plane down, there's lift on a plane, uh, that, that it holds it off of the ground. Just, just, uh, I'm just not a, a bit. Yeah, Clearly no, I'm not no. A pilot. Not with the way the, the way a conventional plane is designed, mm-hmm. um, this ground effect doesn't have, it's, it's not maximized. Okay. You know, got like it. A, it's a, maximized a, in these vehicles. Right. Understood. And in this way, they can lift huge amounts of stuff with, with, without near as much as effort as one would think. Well, as evidenced by the size of these things, because just mm-hmm. the plane itself or the, the boat or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, these, these look really, really odd. I mean, they've got, if you want to just describe what it looks like, if, yeah. I mean, cause people hopefully search these out and find what an acronoplan looks like, but, mm-hmm. um, it looks like a warship with, uh, very stubby wings on the front. Yeah. The, the jets are way up front. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has a big tail, like a, like a, Aircraft would a huge tail, as a matter of fact. But um, the weird thing is, the they fly. They really do fly. They're not like on. They're not on the water really. Mm-hmm. They're just above the water. So they're, they're extremely high speed, extremely low altitude. Mm-hmm. They look like a plane, but it looks like the the wings are chopped off about halfway of where they should be. Yeah, like the wing sh- wingspan should be much much bigger. But I guess they don't need quite as much lift. I I don't know. No, see, it's it, when I. I've been thinking about how we're going to describe these on our audio podcast, right? Yeah. Uh, you guys should go and check out the pictures of it. It's worth your time. They're yes. really, really cool, weird-looking things. And videos. You can watch videos of them mm-hmm. in action, too, which is really cool. Which I didn't believe at first when I saw one of them. Yeah, they're nuts. So the this is the way I figured that would be the best I could do to describe it. You know how when two dogs of very different breeds have – 
a litter. <laughs> yeah. And you know, you see, you see a mutt walking around. You're like, where did that tail come from? Yeah, where did sure. that head come from? Sure. This looks like it's one of those situations that, um, part plane, part boat, like an amphibious plane, right? Yeah. And then a jumbo jet somehow had a plane baby. Yeah, it kind of, kind of does look like because this. the tail is, uh, the, the tail of the, of most of these ground effect vehicles is out of proportion. Uh, to the wings. It's enormous. Yeah, the the tail looks like it's designed for a much larger plane, and yeah. it would be if it was a conventional plane. Um, and then the turbines we're talking about here are, in many cases, in several cases, they're almost uh, adjacent to the cockpit. Yeah, and there's many of them. There's yes. more than you would find on a plane. There's, there's a- like eight. Eight huge jet engines on these things. They're, mm-hmm. they're enormous. They're, they're, well, it's because they have to carry so much weight and have to d- develop speed on water, mm-hmm. take off, land. You know, it's, there's a, there's a lot to this. Um, so when were these things built? I mean, like what, what was the purpose of them? Why were they, why were they even around? Cause I, I don't see these around. What, what's the point of an Acronoplan? All right, Scott, journey back with me. I still don't have our real time machine fixed. So journey back with me on our audio podcast time machine, if you will. Um, because chronoplons, ground effect vehicles are by no means new technology. They date back to like the thirties, the 1930s, the 1930s. Yes. Not the 1830s. Not no, no. Much. I mean, I, I had no idea. I thought they were much newer than that. No, it's actually, it's funny because, um, these things were a lot of the research for this uh started in uh northern europe and uh soviet russia really took uh an interest in these and decided to start building these because at the time um they despite some of their disadvantages which we'll get into you know mm-hmm. just as vehicles um they have several enormous advantages at the time okay. of, of like the cold war okay. so what, what were they what were the advantages they're much faster than conventional boats yeah, of the time because they're not even in the water right right and they can also uh transport uh much more than planes so they're like much more than planes the way that a boat would uh if that makes sense like a plane has to even the spruce goose, it, uh, if it ever made it into the air, yeah. right? Um, but take a Boeing, for instance. Like a Boeing will be able to uh, traverse the Atlantic, right? Um, but a lot of that weight is going to have to go toward fuel. and Oh, lot- because it has to gain altitude. Right. Right. Okay, because you're not going to 30,000 feet like, uh, like a normal jet would be. You're going to 20 feet. Right. Right. Uh, okay. 20 feet. 20 feet? Uh, no, I, I – no, I'm – I'm excited because we're about to talk about. <laughs> oh, okay, good. You know what I? Oh, you know, sure, yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry, we're nerding out, guys. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> these, yeah, are, cool. these are cool. But uh, but the uh, the third advantage at the time is that they're not um, they're not easy to detect on radar. Aha. Because they're just so much faster. There you go. There's your uh, there's your military aspect, right? Right. These were definitely military vehicles um, for the Russians when they started uh, because. During the, during the Cold War era, now, this doesn't mean that the Russians were the only people, or excuse me, not Russians, the Soviet government, uh, doesn't mean that the Soviets were the only people experimenting with these vehicles. Um, but during the heyday of this construction, they were by far the most prolific 
uh, manufacturers of these ground effect vehicles. Um, and for a time, we had no idea. And we had no idea. Isn't that something? Yeah, here we are in the States. No idea this is going on. And they're building these enormous, enormous transport planes. We cannot explain to you through your ears alone how big these things are. Yeah. Um, we will try. Funny story. 1960s. You know, the U.S. in the Cold War, we've got spy satellites. We want to keep an eye on stuff. And we see this thing in the Caspian Sea. And it's in the Soviet Union, so, you know, we're already kind of kind of in a gray area. As yeah, far I as wonder what goes. that is, what's going on there. Right. So it's huge. It's shaped like an airplane. It's just floating in the water. They can tell it's over 300 feet long. Okay. From, uh, you know. That- over 300 feet long. Do you hear that? I mean, the, the spruce goose, what did I say that was? Spruce goose was 218, so barely 200 feet mm-hmm. long. This is enormous. Yeah. Uh, and... Then they noticed also, as soon as they had an engineer or uh, someone with the Air Force look at it, right, mm-hmm. or just anyone who's familiar with planes, they noticed those wings are way too short for this thing to fly. Yeah, it'll never take off. Did somebody just build a 300-plus uh, feet-long plane and then say, ah, oh, we screwed the wings up? Yeah, let's just float it out in the just Caspian Sea. Float it out in the water. Um, no, what they actually found was something uh, called the... Caspian Sea Monster. Awesome. Yeah? You like yeah. this one? Oh, I do. I like, the, I like the sound of that. This thing can weigh uh, over 500 tons, and thanks to the ground effect we mentioned earlier, it is able to still transport itself in the air 20 feet above the water. Mm-hmm. And with this discovery, uh, the U.S. government realized that they had stumbled on the veritable tip of an iceberg. Really? Yes. What what else was out there? Oh man. Oh brother. There were <laughs> there were these things called Aurelianox. I am so sorry I'm butchering. Oh, all so this there's stuff. gonna so you're gonna go through a whole list of, of other there, there were others. Other yeah, yeah. plans? Mm-hmm. It wasn't just the one model. No, it wasn't. Be- uh, because they had planned from what I've read, they 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 had planned something like one hundred of these Caspian Sea monsters to be built. Yes. Um and I think they backed that way down and then I don't know if they ever built any more or not. I don't know how many are out there. I don't know if anybody knows how many are out well, there. Yeah, there was some secrecy there. Oh, mm-hmm. I should we should add also the sea monster sounds like a behemoth, right? Yeah. Which it was. Mm-hmm. It was also a behemoth that could go uh three hundred and fifty miles an hour. Three hundred and fifty miles an hour at what do you say, twenty feet above the water? Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine All right, okay. excuse me, uh twenty meters, sixty six meters. feet. That that had to felt so fast because you've got all of this you, you've got all of the sensory input that you would have at ground level, basically, yeah. in a plane going 350 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. That had to have been an unbelievable ride. I mean, it, you don't get that sensation when you're 30,000 feet up in the air. Mm-hmm. It's it's just nothing like that. So I can't imagine what that would have felt like. That would have been really cool. Now, so it's it's weird that they this kind of vehicle could have been uh, since the 30s. This this idea. First saw its, you know, its prototypes and stuff. And then the government started tinkering with them before World War II. And then the Soviets continued through 60 and 70s. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how obscure these vehicles remain. Um, a lot of people attribute the, uh, Soviet drive toward building these vehicles, um, to a particular minister of defense at the time, a guy named, uh, Dmitry Ustinov. And, uh, 
this uh, when there might be some credence to that because um when uh that minister was no longer in office uh he died in the mid 80s passed away um the new minister of defense cut the program cut oh. the funding for it so this went on for quite a long time then mm-hmm. i mean this is that's not too long ago really no not at all i i i know that i i think the last one that i read about was that there was a crash in 93 Mm-hmm. Uh, that ended the whole program, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they said that th- what's odd about this crash is that they said that the entire tail section of one of these things broke off out at sea. It hit a wave and, uh, it, it snapped the tail section right off. So it must have been a heck of a wave to take that off. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was still able to, to coast or, or to glide mm-hmm. onto shore because these things can beach themselves. They can put themselves right up on the beach. Yeah. Uh, so for transport, military transport, as far as, uh, you know, tanks and, and crew, mm-hmm. extremely, extremely, uh, you know, purposeful, purpose, mm-hmm. purpose built. Um, just seems like, uh, it was, it was the way to do it really. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get them across a, a sea in a matter of minutes. But Scott, there's, that's an interesting thing that we should, we should talk about too, because there's a huge implied question. We're dancing around an elephant in the studio. Okay. What's that? Uh, if these things are so fast and so cool and so efficient at moving cargo, then why aren't they around? Why, why aren't more around now? Hmm. Uh, my guess? Your guess. My guess? Oh, they're giant targets. One. If they're used for military applications, right? Nice. Um, yes. The other is that they're pretty much limited to water only, of course, because mm-hmm. it's a flying boat. It's not yeah. uh, you're not going to be able to travel any great distance inland unless there's a, a, a ramp specifically made for that vehicle to fly on the land, and certainly not safely. Uh, not safely, no. Um, so yeah, I think maybe maybe that's why. Yeah, there. Well, there's... advancements in radar that would be able to pick them up. Um, that's a big one. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I guess I'm out. Um, no, no, those I. I'm glad you're out because you had all the stuff I have. <laughs> um, there's, there is definitely a huge issue with stability mm. because the ground effect relies on that distance between the ground and the wings. So if you are on a flat surface, a relatively flat surface, a smooth rolling surface, perhaps if it's not too extreme, mm-hmm. then your gravy, everything is good. I don't know how to say gravy in Russian. I'm sorry. Mm. That's all right. But if you, uh, but if you hit something that is uneven, like most land terrain or most terrain, I guess, then what you end up doing is disrupting the ground effect and therefore the stability of the vehicle. Makes sense. So the, the distance between the bottom of the vehicle and the ground is ever changing. Mm-hmm. So is your, uh, your lift. Right. Like, so if you can drive, if you can drive a boat and you can pilot an airplane, you can do either one of those. Mm-hmm. Neither of them will qualify you to drive one of these. It's just uh, too much of a hybrid, um, and it, I think it requires um, too much of of the same work. So, in addition to that accident um, you described, which did kill the program, uh, the program had already been really cut down sure. by the eighties. I mean, we've got that. That's nineteen ninety three. We're getting post cold. Yeah, War. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was a demonstration or something. Mm-hmm. Who knows? But uh, yeah, I know that was uh, one of the last mentions of the the thing flying. Anyways, yeah, they. I mean, they even even back in the um, late seventies, they originally ordered the Soviet Navy originally ordered um, over a hundred 
Orilionak. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, <laughs> Russian listeners. That's but right. um, they ordered uh, over a hundred of the most successful vehicle, which was much smaller than the Sea Monster. It was 125 tons. Um, I hate that, that. Isn't that weird that our scale is so messed up now? I know it. Like it's so much smaller. Yeah, it's only 125. That, but that's gigantic still. So they ordered over a hundred, but then they reduced it with down to 30. Oh, okay. And then out of those, um, a lot of them weren't, I, I don't think all of them so, were finished. So ground air effect vehicles are still around. I yes. Mean, there's no doubt about that. Cause you know what? I, uh, I found a little YouTube video like I like to do. Uh huh. Um, just take a little side note here. Yeah. Uh, something called Universal Hovercraft makes, or a company called Universal Hovercraft makes something called the UH 19 XRW Hoverwing. Mm. And if you do a search on YouTube for that, you'll find it. But this is a ground effect vehicle. And I thought, because I did a, a ground effect vehicle search. Yeah. And uh, I was watching some of the really cool Acranoplan stuff, you know, and that's really neat. I mean, I like watching those too. But this is the, the like a, a new version of this, a, a, a sport version, I guess, for nice. you know, the weekend guy yeah. uh, who wants to fly one. Um, this is really kind of weird. It looks like, you know, those, uh, those hovercraft that you could buy years ago. I mean, even 15, 20 years ago, uh, with the, uh, um, I think it had a rubber skirt around the bottom. It mm. looked like it did anyways, I think. Did it have the big fan at the back? No, the big no. fan is in the front. Okay. And, uh, there's a, there's an enclosed seating area. And maybe it did have a fan in the back now that I think about it, but it had wings. This okay. thing has wings now. All right. And they show it on the, on, you know, on the, um, on the water. Mm-hmm. Putting around, you know, it's it's doing its thing on the water, and then it takes off, and this thing flies around two, four, maybe six feet off the water, and they're just flying over the surface of the lake, all over the place. This uh, this weekend user of this crazy, thing. yeah, it's really really neat, and it's it's not really fast or anything like that, mm-hmm. but um, it can make a jump up to apparently twenty feet if you have to wow. to go over, you know, whatever you need to mm-hmm. if something gets in your way. Um, you know, they show it going over water. It's flying over water for a long, long period of time, and then it goes over a sandbar. Um, so, you know, that didn't disturb it at all. Yeah. It goes, you know, right back over the water, and then it lands. It's And they show two of them flying side by side. It's really a, a cool little demonstration of, of what's out there and what you can do. And apparently, you only need a boater's license, I believe, to, to fly one of these because, you know, you're not filing flight plans or anything like right, that. Right, right. This is just flying on top of a lake a few feet off of the surface. Mm. But uh, it's a really interesting machine to watch in action. So uh, I was wondering, you know, like you had mentioned that they had built a lot of, well, different types of ground yes, plans in the, yes. in the past. I mean, 30 or 40 of them that the military had ordered. What are the practical purposes of these things right now, or are there any practical purposes? Well, that's funny that you mentioned that uh, it does have practical purposes, um, or it has maybe a better way to say is potential practical purposes, um, different Governments and industries uh, around the world are trying to um, put some time into this ground effect industry. Uh, a lot of the focus is on building um, smaller civilian craft, uh, like well, recreational craft, like what right. we're talking yeah. about, the, like, the one I just mentioned. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, like that's one. Uh, then there's also the idea that you could maybe use them as super efficient ferries. Like up in your uh, native oh. Great Lakes. Oh, very good. It'd be pretty. It'd be a pretty cool one. Sure. Um, yeah, because that gets awful rough at times. I know if you were able to skim over top of that mm-hmm. um, at high speeds, that'd be that'd be an unbelievable time saver. Mm-hmm. And there's yeah, it would be uh, especially when you consider the speed in 
in comparison to a typical ferry. Well, and the weight that they can carry. Yeah. I mean, they'd be able to carry vehicles and, and cargo and people and everything, and no, no problem at all. Hmm. Yeah. Not a bad idea. There's also, uh, for instance, in Australia and in Japan, uh, they're looking at the principles of these things. Now, in Russia, which already has a manufacturing base for these vehicles, uh, these manufacturers are trying to figure out how can we make this work worthwhile. Well, of course. Right. Um, and so one of their ideas have been to create uh, – to keep making heavier vehicles for uh, heavy transport, for cargo transport. Well, okay. Which, if you think about it, that's one of the military advances. So it, it sort of translates well into mm-hmm. um, industry. But, of course, you know, one of my uh, favorite hobby horses, uh, who do you think is leading the way on ground air effect, ground air vehicles right now, ground effect vehicles? I'm going to guess uh – China. You are absolutely right. I am. Really? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Whereas if, if you didn't already have so many blue ribbons and gold <laughs> stars. Right. Yeah, I'd pin one on myself right now. Good, mm-hmm. job. Good job. So they want to, they being China, or the Chinese uh, government and military as well as business, uh, sees a lot of potential for ground effect vehicles. Um, and they've been designing prototypes uh, for some time. And they are actually using these uh, vehicles. Uh, they're flying Australian and Chinese craft uh, in China. No kidding. Yeah, for huh. um, for a variety of purposes. But in response to your question, I guess my long-winded answer to summarize, right? If you're if you're uh, thinking it's too long, didn't read material. Uh, the reason. That these people are, these people in different governments and positions and businesses are trying to, um, sort of advocate the use of these vehicles is that potentially, despite their disadvantages, they could be a very efficient mode of transportation. As a matter of fact, some people say that, um, the fuel efficiency of an aircraft is less than that of a ground effect vehicle. Hmm. Um, and I'm not, well, it doesn't, yeah, like we said, it doesn't have to deal with the, the lift and it doesn't have to climb to 20,000 feet or 30,000 feet like an aircraft does. It stays low, mm. uses less fuel, uh, may carry more weight, but, um, you know, it's a straight shot wherever you're going. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. You know what? I, I was thinking about this, you know, before this and, and some of the uses that it may have. And I, I read this somewhere, but, mm. um, as a sea rescue vessel. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, because the speed, you'd be able to get to a sinking craft. As quick as a plane could, um, you know, at those speeds, you're talking, you can get to, instead of, uh, let's say that a, um, you know, you dispatch a boat to go to another sinking boat, mm-hmm. um, that boat can maybe get, what, 40 knots? Yeah. At best. Yeah, if it's, and, especially if it's high speed, or high, high seas, um, much, much less. But if you're in a, uh, in one of these chronoplans, you may be able to, you know, who knows? I'm, I'm guessing 200 miles an hour. You can fly right out to the scene, have people on the scene mm-hmm. relatively quickly. Well within Much, you. much faster. Yeah. Um, tourism is a possibility, I suppose. Absolutely. Um, I mean, who wouldn't want to be able to just take off from the coast of Florida and, and mm-hmm. taking a crown plan at, uh, you know, 20 feet above the ocean for, I don't know how many hours it would take still, but you could shoot over to Africa or you could go wherever mm-hmm. you want. Yeah. Um, you know, as long as you could reach it via the coast. Um, another thing would be, of course, military applications we talked about. And then yeah. one last thing is the, the cargo that we mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how they ship vehicles here? 
Yeah. I mean, how many, how many, um, freighters and, and just enormous freighters it takes. Cargo ships. I don't, ships, I don't yeah. know what speed those things are traveling at, but, um, can you imagine being able to ship a load of cars, you know, within a couple of hours from coast to coast, you know, from country to country? That'd be amazing. I mean, I, you know, you couldn't probably couldn't take as many. Yeah, probably, on, probably on not as many because those cargo ships are powerhouses. But for, yeah, for a certain range of cargo, it would appear that, um, these uh, vehicles could really change the game. Uh, There's something to it. I mean, they've been yeah. around a long, long time, mm-hmm. but it seems like we're just not using them to the full potential. Well, one of the reasons that, um, that I've heard proposed for the sort of, I don't know, decrease in interest in these vehicles has been that after, after, uh, World War II, after the Cold War, uh, ended, um, there was less interest in that type of military hardware and more of our interest, it, it, world militaries, as we see more of our interest is involving, um, things like, uh, monitoring telecommunications, how to distribute uh, information, how to fight asymmetrically. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of having a large, bulky ship, right, and and having these concentrated on-the-ground forces has been uh, addressed by several things, at least in our military, for instance, the U.S. military, they're already large, you know, we have 11 uh, aircraft carriers, mm-hmm. you know, and they might take a while to get to you, but oh, buddy, <laughs> once oh, they yeah. get there, yeah, they and um, more than adequate, right? So the question is, the question always for this kind of R and D is, where is our money best spent? Mm-hmm. And it seems like it, it would appear that um, spending R and D to research uh, the best ground effect vehicle um, has lost priority to some other um, research. And I'm not saying that this other research is better or worse. It was just a decision made um, that is pretty understandable because this technology is relatively risky in that it hasn't been explored near as often. We don't have, we don't have a long, thorough case history of this, of accidents with these vehicles the way we would have with, uh, planes or cars or even boats. Um, and one thing that you don't like if you're spending billions of dollars, right, is, uh, to invest in the unknown. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that would might, be awful dangerous. I you would might think. as well buy, buy, uh, hour with a psychic and say, <laughs> Hey, what do you think <laughs> yeah, I should right. do? But, um, and no offense to anyone who believes in psychics or considers themselves one. Uh, but the, so the story here, well, the way we have to end it now is just to say that, um, Scott, I think it's fair to say we're not completely sure what's going to happen with this technology. I mean, yeah. it could, we, we see that there's a lot of research. There's definitely potential for this to be a, uh, rich man's toy mm-hmm. at the very least. Um, but the idea of high seas rescue, um, is, enormously important sure yeah it's intriguing and i think that you know that you know it looks like old technology it is old technology but mm-hmm. um you know with the advancements that are being made who knows where this could go yeah and we you know i especially love when we get to take a look at something that um is so amazing that my number one surprise is i've never heard of it mm-hmm. you know like zorbing yeah oh yeah 
And, uh, as, as a result, you know, uh, this stuff, I would not be surprised if it's going to be possible to take a ride on a ground effect vehicle sometime in our lifetimes. So I think it's possible right now. It's just you got to be in the right area, the right, uh, the right time. You know, it's, uh, it's just not accessible to everybody all the time and hopefully it will be. That's another thing. Yeah. That's definitely why it can't really replace a plane, a boat or a car. Accessibility. Yeah. 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 We can't, we can't take them into work here in inland Atlanta, Georgia. (laughs) Unless they make a lot of canals. Really? Well, he, I just Did saw you your read eye, my letter to the editor? I just saw your eyes light up, yeah. No, I, I just like canals, that's all. Okay. Um, so I guess I feel like if we went too, too much into this, uh, I'm sorry. But I don't know, because I, I mean, check out the videos of Chrono Plans online. They're, mm-hmm. they're really cool. So, uh, and the photos, definitely look at the photos. Mm-hmm. Um, worthwhile. And send us photos or let us know if you've seen one in real life. Um, if you've been fortunate enough uh, to have ridden in one. I, I personally would love to hear from you. Um, you can find us at Facebook and you can find us on Twitter or CarStuffHSW. Uh, you can also see our blog and uh, you probably know we work for a website called HowStuffWorks.com. If you want to send us an email with a story about Cradle Blondes or anything else that you think is particularly fascinating... One last time you had to do it, didn't you? I did one last time. All right. Send it to carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. Give your glucose alerts and readings from the G7. Do not match symptoms or expectations. Use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.